I want to start today uh, with a question. As I'm doing that, I want you to open up your Bibles. Uh, if you've got your story Bibles, you can open those up to page 249. We are in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Or if you're in the story, page 249. I want to start with a question, though, as you're, as you're looking that up. Uh, it was the question that was up on the screen. This is something new uh, that we're doing during the offering. I know a lot of you think, oh, the offering is just time for me to space off. We would love, along those same lines, for you to prepare your heart for worship. And the, the, we're going to kind of have a question of the day, something to get you thinking during the offering. So as you're writing your check, you can be thinking uh, as well, or, or as the plate's being passed. How do you handle change in your life? Think about that for a second. Doesn't matter if it's change for good or bad, positive or negative, ups or downs. How do you handle change and transitions in your life? When, when change comes your way, when, when, when life kind of throws you a curveball, how do you normally react? What's your, what's your attitude like? You find that you're getting uh, moved into a new role at work, or you find that you're being put out of work. Maybe you're uh, finding yourself uh, with uh, a new baby, and you're adjusting to life uh, as parents for the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or maybe your baby is going off to college, and you're adjusting to being empty nesters. Maybe you, uh, you're brand new here in Des Moines. Maybe this is a new home for you, and you're trying to get your feet wet and, and get to know uh, a new city, and, and you're looking for a place to connect. You're looking for new community. Life is constantly changing, is it not? Life is always shifting, always changing. Just to give you an idea, I did a little poking around this week and I found a few stats that you may not know. Did you know uh, that in an average year, and these might be a few years old and I'm guessing the stats are even, the percentages are higher, but in an average year, a study found that 43 million U.S. residents moved within the last year. That's close to 20% of the congregation not the congregation, of the nation. You can tell I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> that's, a lot, that's a big congregation, right? Yeah, we got 43,000 members, uh, million members. Uh, next, did you know statistics show that workers between the ages of 18 and 38, I don't think we have anybody in our, in our congregation here between 18 and 38, do we? Maybe a few? Okay. Uh, that we change jobs an average of 10 times in that span. In, those, in that decade or so, we changed jobs 10 times. And in fact, it's found that if you're between 25 and 34, 34, those people have had their current job an average of 2.7 years. Okay? That's not a lot of longevity. Talk about constant changes. Did you know that in this past year in the state of Iowa, 40,000 babies were born? In Iowa alone, 40,000 babies. And for those of you that have been new parents ever or are grandparents or are new parents, that just makes you exhausted, right? One is enough, right? 40,000 babies. Makes me tired just thinking about it. So the question that we're going to be facing is not if the changes in life are going to come, if the transitions in life are going to come. The question is when they come, how do we handle it? How do we handle it? Whether it's um, maybe for you, recently, it's a new place to live. Maybe it's a, a shelter that you've never been to before. Maybe it's a new city that you moved into. Maybe it's a spouse's work schedule. Maybe it's a busy month at the office. 
When life throws you a curveball and you find yourself in an unfamiliar circumstance, how do you react? Well, that's the same question that the characters in our story from the story Bible are wrestling with today. How do you handle life when you're thrown unfamiliar circumstances? That's the question that we're asking for today. So if you've got your Bibles, let's start on page 249. That's where we're looking at. And we're actually going to start in verse 8. And uh, what, I, what I want to highlight for you today is that this is not just about these characters in the Bible as we talk about every week. This is about you. And so I want you to put yourself in this story. And so we start reading in verse 8. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, if you're looking for a name, there's one for you, uh, chief of his court officials to bring to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So what's going on here? What's happening? We need to know the rest of the story. As we begin chapter 18, what you got to know is that when we're dropping into this place of the story, where are we, right? Are we in Des Moines? No, we're not in Kansas anymore, I'll tell you that. We're in Babylon, okay? Go ahead and throw that map up there. If you remember where we left off last week, it would be helpful to know that you see Jerusalem down there on this map. uh, They have been taken, the Babylonians took uh, over Judah, and these Jews are moving into captivity in Babylon. So you can see they're moving way east, and they're moving across uh, the country there a long, long way from home. This is like farther than just from Iowa to the Minnesota border. This is a long way from home. And so uh, God has, has given up, essentially, and he's saying, okay, if you are going to rebel against me, we've been talking about the last several weeks, I can't protect you from the consequences of your own sin and from being taken over by other nations. And so the Assyrians take the Israelites and the Babylonians take the Jews from Judah and they take them to separate con- countries. And the next couple chapters in the story, they are in exile. They are in captivity. And some of the first people to get taken into captivity are some strapping young men that we just read the, uh, their description. They have no physical defect, handsome, and they show, they're showing aptitude of every kind of learning. They're well-informed, quick to understand. If you're single and you're looking for uh, a single man, you might want to check out these guys, right? That sounds like a a great uh, resume uh, if you're looking for a spouse. Those guys uh, have it all together. I don't know if those guys actually exist, right? So maybe it's a bit of a stretch. But their names are Daniel and a few other guys named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You're like, I've never heard of those guys before. Well, their names got changed when they moved to Babylon. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a little easier to say, isn't it? I think they wrote it that way because of the song and it'd just be easier to learn in Sunday school. So, and they just happen to be godly men who worship God alone. But the king, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, had different ideas. So we're continuing to read at the beginning of uh, chapter 18 on page 249. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine From the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So, step back for a second. Talk about change. 
You think you have change going on in your life. Not only have Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego been taken out of their homes, stripped away from their families, scholars would say at this point, they're probably late in their teens. Okay, Daniel is not some old, like Gandalf-looking character with a gray, big gray beard, right? These are teenagers, okay? So imagine being 16, 17 years old, being ripped out of your house and your family, shipped off to a foreign country, and indoctrinated with a new culture. That's what they're experiencing. Everything is changing in their life, and they're being forced to conform to the customs and traditions of the Babylonians, one of which, one of those things included eating a certain kind of diet. Now, if you remember back when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, uh, there was more commandments. There was more laws, and with those, some dietary laws. At the time, they didn't get their meat nice and processed and cleaned and all the bacteria out of it like we have today. If you're going to run down to Hy-Vee and get a steak, you can assume it's probably healthy, right? But in those days, God gave them laws about what to eat because he knew it was not good for them. He was trying to protect them. Just like any law that God gives us, it's for our benefit, especially with meat. But do the Babylonians care about God's laws? No, it's a pagan nation. They don't care about what we eat and what we don't eat. So God gave, gave these guys laws against certain foods, but the Babylonians don't care. And so they're thrust into this brand new situation. And so we learn our first lesson today about how do you handle change from the way that Daniel handles this situation. So let's keep reading on page 250. We're going to skip down to verse 8. Watch what Daniel does. Very top of page 250. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So first of all, what did Daniel do amidst all the change? Number one, if you're keeping track at home, if you want to write this down, there's a place for notes on the back of your bulletin every week. I want you to remember three things today. And the first one is he continued to self-define. Everybody say self-define. That's the first way that Daniel learned to navigate change. In other words, even though everyone around him was saying, oh, just do it. It's the king's diet. It'll be fine. Daniel knew what the non-negotiables in his life were. And the most important one is to obey God no matter what. What are the non-negotiables in your life? What are the things you say, this is not even a question. If, if there's a moral dilemma that I have, I'm not going to sit there in the moment of crisis and say, oh, what should I do? Who am I? What do I believe? As you're going into situations in life, do you have certain resolutions you say, it's not even an issue? Because this is what God says and this is what I'm doing no matter what. But if you think about it, Daniel had every excuse in the book about why he should just throw his values and morals and his belief and faith in God to the side. Nobody will ever know. Daniel, God's not going to find out because you're in Babylon now. You're in a different situation in your life. He had every reason in the book to compromise. But instead... Daniel makes a resolve. I love how it says that. But Daniel resolved. It's not Daniel thought about it for a while and, and kind of weighed the pros and cons. No, Daniel just said, I resolve. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. No matter who's around me, no matter what the world is saying. In fact, I believe that if Daniel was here today, he would say something like this. As you think about your life, he would say, always remember that although you are not, although you are a product of the circumstances of your life, 
You don't have to be a prisoner of them. Think about that for a second. Although you are a product of everything that's happened in your life, of your upbringing, of your hometown, of where you went to college, who you married, what your family's like, what ta- you're a product. You're, the reason you are the way you are is because of those things. But that doesn't mean that you have to let them take you captive. It doesn't mean that everything that's happened to you, whether it was ideal or not, does not have to make you a prisoner to your past. I think that's what Daniel would say to us today. You see, one of the many dangers that comes with change is that we start to use our circumstances as an excuse for not being obedient to God in the present. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. Maybe God's not watching. So does it really matter? But we use that as an excuse for having misaligned Priorities. Have you yourself or you ever heard somebody say, yeah, you know, we're just, um, we're just really new and we're trying to get our feet wet here uh, in Des Moines, so we don't really have time to get serious about our faith right now. Or, wow, you know, the, the job is just really getting the best of me uh, the last couple weeks, so I'm going to wait till things slow down to get, uh, to get back in the routine of spending that time with God. You know, the week's been really busy, so, you know, weekend worship, it just, I just need to sleep in and just take the day off. You know, it's, it's not really a big deal. Or, or maybe, you know, I, I just got into this new relationship uh, that I'm in, so my life group's just going to have to be put on hold for a while because this just shot to the top of the list, and this is the most important thing because it defines my life now. We can let the circumstances of our life Take us away from being obedient to God in the present. And I'm not trying to overreact. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I just want to ask you this question. When will life ever be perfect? Never. You're, you're with it. I wasn't expecting you to respond. Yeah. When, when is life ever going to perfectly align your schedule? When is everybody in your life going to surround you and say, how can we meet your needs and make sure that everything just lines up perfectly for you? Never. So why are we constantly waiting for that and putting life on hold? When will, the, when, when will there ever be enough time? When will there ever be a perfect small group or a perfect church? By the way, if you're looking for a perfect church, you better leave because this is not it right? It's really not. You see, I I worry that if we're always waiting for life to look a certain way, we're going to miss the beauty of what's around us in the here and the now. And sometime when your kids are gone and you're retired and you're sitting and you're reflecting back on your life, the danger is I worry, I worry for some of us that we're going to look back on life and say, I missed it. I missed it. Because I was waiting for the dominoes in my life to be set up in a perfect way and I missed the beauty that was around me the whole time that God was setting right in front of me. I kept waiting for the ideal week, the ideal relationship, the ideal house, the ideal job and I never put down roots. I just skimmed the soil. I just skimmed my way through life. Just like Daniel We are charged with the responsibility at all times and all places in our lives to self-define. Everybody say self-define. To say these are my priorities and the other areas of my life are going to be bent around my non-negotiables, not the other way around. 
Talk about unideal circumstances. How about being in captivity in Babylon and being forced to compromise your beliefs? And that's where Daniel is. So Daniel's self-defining here with the food situation actually causes quite the stir. And he's in danger of being killed because of his belief. So we pick up the story uh, here. And Daniel's talking to the guard that's making the decision about whether he should eat this food or not. So it's not just a food decision. It's an obedience to God decision. So we continue uh, on page 250 and we're in verse 12 now. Daniel says, please test your servants for, for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So Daniel knows God's not afraid of a little friendly food competition. And so instead of letting his circumstances determine his priorities, Daniel decides to self-define and he says, God's not afraid of a food challenge and I'm going to be obedient to him no matter what. So what happens? Well, we keep reading. At the end of the 10 days, they, meaning Daniel and his friends, looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Okay, so think about this for a second. Not only was Daniel and ultimately God proved right, the whole king's army was now fed the Daniel diet, right? Right? So when you have this competition, right, the vegetables won out. And so if you can imagine, I would guess that all the king's guards are not too happy because they're like, darn it, Daniel, no more sirloin steak and Chardonnay for us, right? We're stuck on broccoli and cauliflower and all that kind of good stuff, right? And this is actually a diet now. You can look it up. Go home and Google the Daniel plan. It is, it is a widely known, very successful health plan. Look it up, the Daniel plan. And, and it's been around for uh, several years now, and it's really picking up steam. In fact, it's right out of the Bible. Now, I wouldn't use the Bible as like your diet health book, but this is one of the areas that God says, hey, maybe if you follow my laws, you'll actually be healthier. So instead of, look at this, instead of Daniel conforming to the culture around him, the culture ended up conforming to him. How cool is that? And so the question that I want to ask you today is, what resolves do you need to make in your life? What areas do you feel like God is calling you to self-define and say, it doesn't matter if everybody else is living their life in a certain way, this is who God has called me to be. So that's number one, continue to self-define. But the story doesn't end there. Daniel wasn't the only one who was forced to handle changes and unfamiliar circumstances. Remember those three other men with Daniel? What are their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's kind of a mouthful. If you've ever seen the, the uh, uh, children's uh, film, Veggie Tales. They have lots of little films out about Bible stories. They just call them Rack Shack and Benny. So that's what we're going to call them. Okay. Say Rack Shack, Benny. That's who we're going to call them. So it turns out they're about ready to face the fire as well. Literally. Okay. So we pick up the story, page 254, page 254. We're still in the book of Daniel and we're in chapter three. And this is our passage for today. So the king at the time, I'm right in the middle of page 254. King Nebuchadnezzar, there's a name for you, made an image of gold, 60 cubits high 
and six cubits wide. That's big. And set it on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. So that's what's going on now with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So needless to say, King Nebuchadnezzar is not the most humble leader, right? He says, I don't care about the Israelites. I don't care about the gods that you worship. We're going to set up this gold statue right in the middle of the courtyard here where everybody's milling around the palace. And whenever the trumpets are blown, whenever you hear music, everyone should just stop, bow down, and worship. That's what you should do. What a arrogant king. What a prideful king, just kind of full of himself. If you were looking for a new boss, you probably wouldn't want King Nebuchadnezzar or Neb, as I like to call him for short, right? You probably wouldn't want him as a boss. Pretty arrogant, pretty full of himself, which actually reminds me of another boss that you might know of named Michael Scott, who's also pretty prideful and arrogant of himself. So as you watch this short clip, maybe it'll give you a taste of what King Nebuchadnezzar's attitude was like. Let's take a look. That's from the very first episode of this show called The Office, and the rest of the series for seven or eight seasons is all about how prideful and arrogant Michael Scott is as a boss. He found it at Spencer Gifts. So he owns a paper company, but King Nebuchadnezzar owns the whole nation. And King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get a world's best boss coffee cup, which I'm guessing that he probably had one, don't you think? Right, sitting around. He instead builds this statue, much larger in scale. And he says, this is what we should worship. And if you don't worship it, what's going to happen? You're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. This is not your grandma's oven, okay? This is a furnace. This is really, really, really hot. And just like Daniel before them, Rack, Shack, and Benny are faced with a choice. They can let their circumstances determine their faith or let, they can let their faith transform their circumstances. Think about that. They can let the circumstances determine their faith, or they can let their faith transform their circumstances. In other words, they can live with integrity. That's our second key to handling change today. Will you live with integrity? It reminds me of a similar choice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing as an issue of integrity. It reminds me of uh, a character named Javier. Some of you might have seen the film Courageous. Really great film that came out a few years ago. And uh, Javier is uh, not facing the life-threatening decision of being thrown in a furnace, but he's faced with a choice that I really think hits close to home for a lot of us. So Javier has a good job at this factory, but it's just enough. He's making minimum wage. It's just enough to provide for his family, his, his wife and his two young kids. So one day... Javier, the guy on the left there, is called into his boss's office, and his boss says this, I want to give you a raise. I want to give you a promotion. But there's one catch under one condition. I want you to be the, the shipping manager, but in order to kind of save us some money, I want you to kind of shave some numbers off the inventory. Nobody will ever know. It'll be because I'm the boss. Nobody will ever find out. It's fine. And if you can do that, if you can essentially lie for the company, then you'll get a raise. Then I'll promote you. This is the job he's always wanted. If he got this raise, his salary would double. And he'd be able to provide for his family, and they wouldn't have to worry about food or clothes or anything. What would you do? 
What would you do if you're standing in front of the fiery furnace, which sometimes is across the desk from your boss at work? When you're faced with an issue of integrity, what would you do? Take the easy way out and lie? Or will you live with integrity? That's the choice that's facing Javier. Let's see what he decides. Let's take a look. Good morning, sir. Morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I would be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Well done, Javier. After six times, I was getting discouraged. I love the look on his face, don't you? So Javier says, I can't do it, boss. I got too much integrity to do that. I can't do it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say the same thing to King Nebuchadnezzar. We can't do it. I, I, we won't bow down and, 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 and sell out just because our boss told us to. But the king's response, unfortunately, was not as fair and just as the boss in the film there. Before we move on, what would you have done? What would you have done? Just think about that this week. What would you have done? So, page 255 as we continue on with our story. Here's what the king's response is. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 19 now. Down to the bottom of page 255, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious 
with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. When you are faced with changing circumstances in your life, will you choose the easy way or will you choose the path of integrity? Maybe you've heard those words or said those words in your own mind. Oh, nobody will ever find out. Oh, just, just lighten up. Can't you just let go this once? It's Friday night. Just try it one time. Nobody will ever find out. You got you to do whatever you can. You know, in business these days, you got to do whatever you can to get ahead. Even if it means lying. God says, I'm looking for some men and women that I can trust. I'm looking for some men and women whose hearts are fully mine. Even when that internet site pops up again. Do you look or do you not look? Even when everyone around you says, oh, this is what it takes to get, get the attention of the opposite sex. You got to really put yourself out there. What will you choose? Even when everyone around you says, oh, the boss isn't looking, just skip out a few minutes early. Nobody will ever know. Will you choose to live with integrity? What would it look like to be authentically who you are in Christ, no matter who you're with and where you are? Be you wherever you are, even when you're in the fire. And that's where we find Rakshak, and Benny, as we continue our story, page 256, down the page a little bit, on page, verse, or excuse me, verse 25. To everyone's amazement, they're not burned. The king runs up and he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And scholars have been debating this for thousands of years. Who was it? Was it a prophet? Was some other guy randomly happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and snuck in there? Some scholars would say it's Jesus who says, I will always be with you in Matthew chapter 28. No matter who it is, they're not burned. They're saved from the fiery furnace. And we read this. Then Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Rakshak and Beni be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Woof! Talk about a change of attitude, right? Not only are they saved from the fiery furnace... Just like Javier in our clip, they get promoted. Read on. It says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So they go from being slaves and prisoners to climbing the ranks in the king's cabinet. Because they knew they had a higher boss. A lot of you have a boss. You have an earthly boss. And are we called to respect our earthly bosses? Yes, absolutely. But do we have a higher boss that we work for? Yes, and we're called to live according to his standards, above reproach. And so if we ended there, we'd be forgetting one of the most important parts 
of this story, of, of the whole Old Testament and our third and final lesson, Navigating Change. Flip over with me to page 258 towards the end of our chapter. And we're now in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 6. So Daniel 6, verse 6. So although Daniel, I remember him from earlier in our story, was widely, widely popular in the Babylonian kingdom, his trials weren't over yet. So look what we read. The royal administrators, perfect satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. Do you sense a theme in these stories? <laughs> Do you sense a theme here? Again, here's Daniel in maybe the scariest, darkest moment of his life. His life is being threatened if he prays one more time to God. So if you're in this situation, should I, should I be found praying or am I going to get thrown to the lions? Again, what would you do? If you're in that situation, what would you do to compromise what you believe in? If you're like me, you certainly wouldn't waste your time praying because there's much more productive things that we should be doing with our time than praying, right? I should, I should get out of town. I should, I should write up an amendment to the Constitution and say, here, king, let, let's not have that because the king really respected Daniel at this time. Maybe I just try to get out of town or, or maybe, oh, I'm just going to pretend I'm not the praying type. That's not really who I am. But that's not what Daniel does. A little bit farther down as we continue the story, look at verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, watch what he does. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now, we could skip ahead to the rest of the story. But if we move too quickly, we're going to miss something really powerful right here. What does it say? Daniel prayed. Look at the verse just as he had done before. Just as he had lived his life when things were normal. Whether Daniel was living a nice, calm, peaceful life back in Jerusalem, or when he was in the darkest, scariest moment of his life being threatened by death, Daniel's disciplines and his habits didn't change. Daniel prayed because that's what men and women of God do. And that's our third lesson for today. When you're in transition, when you're in change, when you're in unfamiliar circumstances in your life, major in the majors. Major in the majors. What I mean by that is go back to the basics. But too many times we say, well, I'm in a new relationship and I'm struggling with this new job or I'm struggling in my marriage or I'm struggling with my health. And instead of leaning on God, we default to, well, things are just too kind of busy and crazy to spend time in the word or, or be with my life group and, 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 and it's just not working out right now. I got, I got too many things going on at home and people at worship just wouldn't understand. I wouldn't want to let the people at church know that I'm struggling. But what if those times in your life when you felt you were too busy or nobody else understood are actually the times that you need God and your community the most. Martin Luther, who our church is named after, the Lutheran movement, is quoted as saying, I pray for an hour every morning 
That's my habit. That my, that's my routine. And then Martin said this. But when life gets really hectic, when everything around me is changing, when my schedule gets shifted around, when there's all these demands on my life, when things get really busy, then I pray for two hours. Then I pray for two. Isn't that the opposite of how we would normally react? Major in the majors. Go back to the basics. Prayer, weekly worship, your community, serve someone. Go back to the basics. And so the story continues. Daniel refuses to stop praying. He gets thrown in the den of lions, not just for a few minutes, but overnight. But when the king returns in the morning, not even a scratch is found on Daniel. Not only that, but the king, now King Darius, was so moved with God's ability to save that this pagan king began to worship God. And you can read the rest of the story. It's incredible. He starts to worship. He starts to, to sing just like we sang this morning. He goes from throwing a follower of God into the pit of lions to saying, who is this God that saves? Even in exile, even in Babylon, God is still present. So no matter what the circumstances in all three of our stories today, Daniel's diet with the lions or the fiery furnace, self-define, live with integrity, and major in the majors. And when we do so, God promises to change lives. I love how this verse, I want to read this together from 1 Peter chapter 2, puts it as the band comes up. Let's read this together. It's on a couple slides, but let's read this together. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Doesn't that verse from thousands of years later by the Apostle Peter sum up the chapter that we just read? You're foreigners, Israelites. You're exiles in Babylon. Live your lives in such a way that God will receive all the glory because in the end, and this is what I want you to hear today, the goal is not to just be moral. The goal is not just to, to stick to our values. In the end, the goal is that in how we live our lives, God would get all the glory. And that is my prayer for you this week, that the passion of our lives would be that people see Jesus through us, that you would live your life in such a way that it would be so tangible that people would look at you and say, I don't know what it is about you, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I want your life because it points me to something much better than I'm living for. When people look at your life, will they give glory to God? May your life be so tangible with the love of Jesus Christ this week that those around you would not be able to deny how good and how faithful God is. Let's stand and pray together.